Richard Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there is or not. I don't know if there's a black and white answer. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how. Give us some men who know the truth. And who will declare the truth? And who will stand with Athanasius and Polycarp and Calvin and Luther and Whitfield and Edwards? And who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Lady, let's do this. It's so horrible. That was Jack Benny, if you didn't know. It's the Wretched Radio Mail Call Delivery Bag Q&A Infotainment Nationwide Extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. The mail is here! Ooh, thank you for sending all kinds of questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. Jimmy, if I might, I think I can tackle a big pile of the questions that have come in this week in light of the Alistair Begg situation. Okay. Tackle. Why do you sound, why do you sound so good all of a sudden? You like that? No, because <laughs> you sound better than I do. I found it in the bottom it's of the closet. not that I'm bitter and jealous and petty or nothing. <laughs> Wait, why haven't we been using that microphone all along? You've been sounding like you're in a tin can. I just found it in the bottom of a closet. Well, it sounds very nice. <laughs> and a bunch of questions have been asked about different marriage configurations. Can I go to this wedding? Should I go to that wedding? Uh, let, let, let me try to answer it pretty much the same way that I did yesterday. Let's just give it time. We can't answer those questions about different marital configurations until we have crystal clear clarity on what marriage is, what it represents, and what we say to the world and to our God when we attend a wedding. You get that sorted, and you should be able to apply it and probably more easily come to a conclusion on whatever sort of conundrum marriage situation you're dealing with. Because, wow, there are a lot of them. You can also text 877-282-2337. All right. This first question is from Steve. He says, Todd, I have a 10-year-old boy who has taken interest in partaking in communion. We've discussed in detail the purpose and meaning behind it. But my question is, if a child is considered to be still in the age of innocence, do you think he can fully understand the purpose behind communion? All right. Let, let's deal with the age of innocence. Let's, let's, for the sake of clarity, say level. And has a 10-year-old reached that level? Um, I'm going to answer it this way. I've got an opinion on it, but I'm going to answer it this way. It's not about the age. It is about their understanding of reality and their own depravity and that sin is willful rebellion against God. 10, 4, 6, that you, you just... We, we just get ourselves into trouble when we say an age and a particular number. So, Dad... You know where where your son is at with this issue, but I I do have some more questions for you that I think you would do well to work through. Is he saved? You, you can't be taking communion without actually being saved. Does he understand the gospel? Have you seen new fruit, and not just perhaps an increased amount of fruit that he possessed before he made a profession of faith? Talking about new stuff. 
He used to always beat up his little sister. Now he doesn't. Well, wait a second. Now he's helping her? Whoa, that's fruit. So you can go about the examination business with him to answer the salvation question. But hold on, we've got some ecclesiological issues to consider. We have to take a look at the other ordinance of the church, and that is baptism. Has he been baptized? Has he obeyed the first commandment of our Lord? So we need to know, first of all, is his profession of faith credible? I believe this is now, I, I would not go to war with anybody over this. But because baptism is the first commandment, I think we've got to take care of baptismal business before we take communion. Historically, not everybody, but historically, baptism was kind of the, the public testimony that gave you entrance into the church. We, we don't tend to do that very much. I, I think I, we would all do well to study the issue. But I would suggest this. If you're asking for my opinion, which we all know is right because, well, I'm a talk show host. Make sure he's saved. Has he been baptized? Then consider taking communion. And you should have no reason not to. If he's genuinely saved, then he is welcomed at the Lord's table. And you, watch this segue, you're welcome to send whatever you want to idea at wretched.org. All right, this next question is from Jesse. Uh, Todd. Jimmy, you know the name of Justin Peter's book. Oh. Forbid them not. Uh, Permit them to come. Yeah, it's. Don't (laughs) baptize your kid before they're born again. Something like, look up Justin Peter's, you'll Uh, find the book. I, hinder I don't them think not. We carried in the, don't don't hinder them or hinder them not. Something like, something like that. Won't it be a surprise when you discover <laughs> Justin Peter's book? It'll be it'll be super helpful for you. And I'm super pumped. Guess who I get to hang with today? Justin <laughs> Peters. And we're gonna go through discernment. I am so excited about this series that we're gonna do. We're gonna be doing 14 total lectures. He's gonna do seven. I'm gonna do seven on the subject of discernment. Hey, these days. We need that. And it has been a gas to study my seven subjects, now, some, of, some of which I've dived into before. But a couple of them are like, mm, this is really juicy, helpful stuff to help me be a good Berean, to help me be a discerner who nails it as often as possible and nails it with the right motivation and attitude. We'll share that resource someday. In the meantime, idea at wretched.org. All right, this one is from Jesse. Todd, if I'm a believer and I'm not a member of a church, what does that mean for me? Can I take communion? Am I serving God how I should? I don't know how you can take communion without being in a body of believers. This is super important. You've got to be in a church. If the Lord's table is a means of growth, and I believe it is it, that it is, Acts 2, 42 through 43, that by participating in communion, whatever your opinion happens to be, whether you're real presence, whether you're in with and under, it's a symbolic meal, it feeds you. Why? Because it's a tactile consuming of the gospel. You're, you're thinking about the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and that's going to edify you. Communion with Union requires people. Now, if you were stuck on a desert island and you wanted to take communion, I would say, yeah, you can do that, of course, because of a circumstance like that. But if you got two believers on the island, you should be taking it together. 
And so if you're not a member of a local church, I would ask, with whom could you take communion? You might, maybe you're just in the middle of, of, of a place where there are no churches. Okay, uh, you got to go find some. And, and I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to lay this out there. Participation and membership in the local church is so important. You might want to think about moving near one. I am not kidding. You will never be as healthy as you could be. I know there are some who would say, no, I'm doing just fine. I can't stand the church. I'm A.W. Pink. I can't find a good church. I get that. But what I'm telling you is that if communion alone is needed for your growth and you can't take communion because you're not in a local church, you can't possibly be as spiritually fit as God wants you to be. Furthermore, you can't exercise your one another. Your spiritual gift muscle, it's getting flabby. It's just flap. Don't go near a helicopter because that flabby muscle is just going to pistol whip you. You need to be exercising that muscle and you can't do it if you're not in the local church. You say, well, no, I can use my gift. I take it to the pantry and do it. That's nice, but that's not exercising your spiritual gift. You say it is exercising my spiritual gift. I say it's not because it doesn't meet the qualifications of serving one another in the context of a local church. I cannot stress in last night, two nights ago, who am I? Why am I here? What day is this? I think we're in February now, aren't we? Finally. <laughs> it was kind of a long one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we were in church on Wednesday night and I got fed immensely. The teaching on Philippians was great. Notice, I noticed a couple of things in Philippians. Why was Paul joyful in writing a letter? To the, to the church in Philippi when he was penning it from a jail cell. Read the first chapter and, and start underlining words that repeat 18 times, Christ Jesus. 18 times. Whoa, that's where we find our joy. So I was fed through the teaching, but at the very beginning, one of the members stood up to give a praise, and he announced that, that he got a job. And we'd all been praying for that. And another one, he pointed out that another one of the members actually helped him get the job. And I got to witness the body, the church. That's church. What you and I are doing right now, hopefully on some level it's edifying, but it ain't the local church. And it's not going to feed you. I, I walked out of there stuffed to the gills and joyful. It was like, look at the dude who had a contact, knows about the guy who needs to get a gig, puts them together, and boom, we've got a praise report. Cool. And that only happens in the context of the local church. And that, by the way, is just one of a million blessings that will strengthen you when you are a serving member of a local church. This is Wretched Radio. I believe in a culture of life. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms 
of all three of my kids. The sonogram or the, the pictures that are taken of babies, still a profoundly helpful tool, which encourages me to encourage you to consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Preborn Ministries and their network clinics, they are giving away free ultrasounds to women, but they do cost something. It's $28 an ultrasound. And just as you heard Governor DeSantis say, his view of life was profoundly changed when he saw the baby in the womb. When you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat, would you please consider supporting Preborn? It's a great ministry of life. It has a high anthropology, shares the gospel with women and with the dads. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Well, in a world that is undeniably cluttered with quick fixes and superficial solutions, now comes a journey into the heart of real change. I'm talking about Transformed Season 3. It's finally here, and we're inviting you into the lives of individuals that are facing the giants of fear and guilt and grief. But hey, there's a twist. These aren't your typical battles. These battles have been fought with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. You'll witness loneliness and overeating and relational tension met with grace, truth, and love that can only come from the one who knows us the best. This season's not just about watching others. It's about seeing yourself and your struggles and the path to true transformation through biblical counseling. We'll together dive deep into the heart of what it means to be transformed. Transformed Season 3 can be found right now at wretched.org slash transformed3. So, you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. Then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God it's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International. Know your reformers. Ulrich Zwingli was a Swiss reformer who pioneered expository preaching, introduced the regulative principle, and brought a republican government to Switzerland. He fought against the Roman Catholic Church for theological and political independence and died in battle. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If you want to be an encourager, go to jail. This is Wretched Radio Bible Study, Wednesday night, a verse that upon further examination requires some explanation and the result will be edification. Jimmy, did you write that down? That could probably be a sermon outline <laughs> right there. The book of Philippians, Paul is writing from jail and he says something that I think we maybe have a tendency to kind of gloss over. Remember, 18 times he uses the name of Christ. His joy is found in the propagation of the gospel. Hey, people are getting saved, but Listen to his explanation. 
I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Getting imprisoned caused the gospel to be spread more so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest, my chains are in Christ. Here it comes. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Hold it. They saw Paul go to jail and they're emboldened. How does that, what happened? How does, let me take you back uh, to the ep, the era of the Marian martyrs. John Rogers was considered the first martyr that Mary burned alive. He refused to recant. He believed in grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. He was warned, he refused. He was warned, he refused. He was arrested. He was put in jail. And if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on this tale, this, this detail. It might not have been him, but I think it was John Rogers, whose wife had their baby while he was in prison. They finally take him to the execution because he refused to recant. They marched him through his church. That was a symbolic way of saying, this church better shut this nonsense down. You better start preaching the Catholic faith, or this is going to be your lot too. They marched him to the stake, and he stood and was burned alive. And when he died, it seems the people attending it, which were hundreds, they knew it. And they responded in applause. And you would say, oh, so they were happy he was dead. No, they were happy. They just saw a man who was willing to die for his beliefs and they were encouraged by it. And I think that is exactly what Paul is saying here, that people saw me go to prison. They see that I'm happy all the day. And they're encouraged. Hey, he can do it. We can do it. He kept the faith. He's keeping the faith. He's witnessing to the Praetorian Guard. They got saved in Caesar's palace. That doesn't mean he was in Las Vegas. He was in Rome. And people in Caesar's family were getting saved because of Paul. And he was rejoicing. And the rest of the body went, yes. And they preached the gospel more. You say, Friel, are you just bringing that up because you were in Bible study Wednesday night? No, because it's Another demonstration of the importance of all of us being serving members of a local church. When I hear that you have gone through something, but you have a smile on your face, I'm encouraged. Whoa, look at the Lord work. Anytime we hear a testimony, it should be like, whoa, God is real. He's really doing stuff. He hasn't slept or slumbered. He's really at work in the lives of people. And I'm encouraged. You don't have to go to jail to do that. You can go to your local church. So please find yourself a good Bible teaching local church, join it, and then you can send questions, comments, conundrum snarks to idea at wretched.org. All right, this is from Phil. Todd, are people in churches like a Seventh-day Adventist church saved? And if not, how much of our ministry should be devoted to them? Well, it depends on your access to people. Can you start a ministry that focuses on them because you have a big group of them living near you? Sure, you can absolutely do that. Do you have to? No, I think it's an individual that makes that decision based on opportunity and their desires and where they think there might be a white harvest field. Now, as for SDA itself, we need to recognize that a lot of their doctrines are within small O orthodoxy. However, still on paper are a lot of aberrant doctrines. I mean, there are a lot of them. And the reason that I, that I make that distinction 
is because it depends on which Seventh-day Adventist you're talking to. You need to determine to what do they adhere and what don't they. So, for instance, you've got a bibliology issue. Ellen G. White, her, she did a couple thousand prophecies. Okay, was she a prophet? Are her writings akin to scripture? Some would say yes. Some would say no. You, you've got her making a false prophecy about the return of Jesus Christ. That should be a disqualifier right out of the gate. You've got the investigative, go ahead and say it with me, the investigative judgment. Uh, in, in other words, Jesus, I think somewhere in the 19th century, began his the second part of his redemptive work where he is mediating the new covenant in heaven. I mean, actually doing something like some sort of ceremony to keep the thing going. Well, we don't believe that at all. His redemptive work was finished on the cross. And of course, because Jesus lives in that sense, he's mediating it. But it is based on his accomplished work, not on his ongoing work of redemption. So you've got the investigative judgment. You've got bibliology. You've got false prophecies. And then you've got Sabbath keeping. That's a big issue. And it depends, again, on which one you talk to. You must keep the Sabbath on Saturday or you are outside of Christendom. Okay, then I'm afraid we're going to have to part company. And that is where I currently believe it stands. Having said that, you could meet some SDAers that are like, oh, no, 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 I reject that one. Oh, no, no, no. I, if that's the case and you happen to be SDA, then my encouragement would be then go find a church where they don't have all of that theological baggage. Then, then you don't have to be marked uh, you you don't have to say, well, I do believe, but I don't believe. And you should find a church that's more in alignment with what you believe. So want to be careful about judging every individual. Having said that, based on where they are today, and by the way, there have been a lot of meetings with SDA that have taken place over the years. I believe Walter Martin, the original Bible Answer Man, he was involved in this conversation. It's kind of a cloudy sort of recollection of what happened. He was like, no, SDA is apostate. Then he went, you know what? I'm thinking maybe they could be okay. And then I've heard that, well, no, he went back on that. Or the family said, well, no, he never. So it's, 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 it's got a history here. It's been examined as of late. But for my money, until the paperwork changes, those are the official positions of the SDA. And I believe that they are outside of historic Christian small o orthodoxy. Idea at wretched.org, 877-282-2337. All right, this next question is from Zach. Todd, my church recently recognized and received a pastor for the women's ministry. This is an assistant pastor over only the this ministry. She's female. So does this female pastor fit our biblical description of a pastor in 1 Timothy 3? Was that four uses of the word pastor? I believe so. I think that's the answer to the question. A pastor is a pastor. You know what? I, um, that That's the tall pastor. There's the short pastor. There's the skinny one. There's the fat one. Can I still say skinny and fat? Oh, do you remember? Fat kids, skinny kids, kids who climb on rocks, tough kids, sissy kids, even kids with chicken pox love hot dogs. Armor hot dogs. You can't sing that jingle today. Friel, you just did. You can put an adjective in front of pastor and it's still pastor. Here's a question, though. Can a woman, I'll just use the term, manage, head up, organize. 
even lead women's ministry? And, and you, you might quibble over some of those words, but I believe the answer is yes. Because Paul even instructs women, hey, older women, disciple the younger one, teach the younger women. So we have full biblical permission. Uh, this, that does not override 1 Timothy 2.12. But when you call a woman pastor, no matter what adjective you place in front of it, it's still pastor. And I believe, therefore, it's in violation. So let's, 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 could we, could we agree to stop with adjective games that we're playing out there? Can, 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 can we stop with saying, well, yeah, she's, she's a pastor, but she's under the authority of the other pastors. Still a pastor. Well, she's a, she's a pastor, but she doesn't do authority things. I'm sorry, the office is an authoritative office. No matter what, they're walking in the hallway, in the pulpit. It's an office of authority. And the Lord, for the sake of order and for the sake of his glory and for our good, says, I, I am flipping this coin for you. This is how it's going to work in the home, in the workplace, in government, in society, and in my church. And I do believe I would I was hearing somebody preach on this and 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 they said we're we're so informed by society what is like the the whoa role. But God's church and God's people are defined differently. The world says how much you make. God says, how much do you serve? How, what what's your title? Jesus says, how low do you go? The world says, do you have the corner office? Jesus asks, have you washed anybody's feet lately in service? It is just a different, it's a different framework. We need to reject that. Uh, God has it ordered. Let's live by his rules. And let's not try to play fast and loose with them. We will suffer. And by the way, if history tells us anything regarding the role of women in the church... Every single denomination or movement that has gone slip sliding away, it has always begun with the role of women. I can't think of an exception. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, we start today with disturbing revelations that a Biden administration advisory last year urged banks to monitor customers' reading habits and church attendance to identify potential extremists. Buried in these reams of guidelines combating ill-defined terror threats, there are chilling references to traditional faith as suspicious activity. Simply purchasing Bibles or regularly worshiping apparently warrant scrutiny as signs of radicalization now. I guess you could proudly call me a radical Christian. Overseas in Kenya this week, Christian and Muslim leaders jointly petitioned lawmakers to reject LGBT ideology for being pushed across African nations by Western governments. The religious coalition condemned attempts normalizing sexual sin through media and policies. And entertainment nonsense, Jimmy Fallon tried mocking an Oklahoma senator's bill that would crack down on internet pornography and sexting minors. We'll get this a senator in Oklahoma named Dusty Devers has introduced a bill that would make it illegal to sex anyone other than your spouse. Kind of weird. And beyond showcasing the moral bankruptcy of pop culture, the cringy stunt ironically proved the urgent need from shielding kids from such crassness that's marketed as humor. 
And speaking of virtue signaling, Planned Parenthood is now claiming virginity lacks scientific grounds in a new video that's targeting teens. The abortion giant argues purity is outdated and used to control female sexuality. There are some things that are just so atrociously unintelligent that you can't even respond to them. And in sports news, new legislation introduced this week aims at blocking biological males from the women's Olympic teams. The bill follows the controversy that allowed transgender swimmer Mr. Thomas and others to dominate female categories despite retaining immense advantages from their male puberty. Sponsors argue separate categories exist precisely due to biology, not identity. And finally, overseas, a Christian mother in Iran continues facing lashing and prison time simply for drinking communion wine. Secret police raided her home church gathering, arresting and interrogating all present over the equivalent of a few drops while celebrating our Savior. Yet this believer still potentially faces over 80 lashes for symbolically identifying with our Lord. Please continue praying for this Christian mother in Iran and all of our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Malachi was the last recorded prophet of God until John the Baptist 400 years later. Malachi addressed the corrupt priesthood half-hearted worship, divorce, injustice, and neglected tithes. He also foretold the coming of John the Baptist, Jesus the Messiah, and the great day of the Lord when God judges the wicked and rewards the righteous. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Got an issue? Send it. This is Wretched Radio. You disagree? I'm not shocked if you do. Uh, Please articulate it. Send it to idea at wretched.org or send your snark or disagreement to 1-877-282-2337 via the texter machine. All right. This next question is uh, from text. It's from Brad. Uh, Todd, what are some practical things I can have my family, especially my seven-year-old daughter, do that can teach her how to serve the church and love those outside the church? Dude. Way to go, Dad. There's a there's a dad ribbon that should be awarded right there. Uh, you can pick any act of service that's available to you, but I would I would try to make a priority list for you. Look, if you do it at the church, the local food pantry, that's swell. But I might encourage you to make sure you're doing some sort of active service in the context of the local church so that your kids can experience it in that context so that they start to develop an attitude that we don't go to church just to serve. Somebody sent me an email. Oh, I wish I had it. So let me try to, to recreate it. We were, I think we were talking about the term that church is a hospital for sinners. And I, it, it's become kind of gacky cliche. But it, it is right because we're sinners. But he thought, how's about, the, how's about just one wing of the church is a hospital? You know, you got people in the ICU really hurting. They're coming in through the emergency doors and some people that are starting to recover. That's a wing. But then they go out and serve in another context, in a different wing. And maybe they then go back into the hospital division to help those who are hurting that need to move from brokenness to wholeness. And they can use their gifts to help them. I think that actually was 
was pretty helpful because not everybody is going through a season where they are hurting or devastated or wounded or scarred. Praise God for that. So serve and help those who are. And if you do it in the context of the local church, I think that will help your kids understand it's a good thing. And and if I could, if there is... <laughs> I was going to say if there's one mistake I made as a parent, but that's just laughable. One one of the mistakes that I made as a parent, when, when we were looking for churches, it was, boy, sometimes it literally was, I don't like this phrase, but it, it sometimes was a clown show. It was, it could be so bad. Didn't have the internet at that time to see all the videos of the shenanigans. So you go and it's like, what are they doing here? Why is, why is, why is the pastor dressed like Elvis singing Suspicious Minds? What is, oh, I, how we're supposed to trust one another. Suspicious mind. I got hip and relevant because, you know, Elvis is cutting edge. We were just was shocked. And so I, I, um, I didn't practice discretion regarding my frustration with so many churches. Now, what did that teach my kids? That they, that they should be critical. Now, please, we should be critical. But I had a, I had, I had a critical spirit. And I was like, ah, okay, look, we got to go. Let's hope this is a good one. Just disparaging of the whole body. And I wish I hadn't done that because I, I don't want to, to, even through osmosis, teach my kids that the local church is eh or eh. I want them to love it. And by the way, speaking of talking about the church, was reading an article. I I, I read the whole thing. I, I I didn't bring it in, but as long as I'm on the subject, there was an interesting observation from a writer. He, he was he was talking about. Uh, I don't want to use the name of Russell Moore, so I won't do that. That he goes onto these platforms that are not Christian to critique the church. And that's wrong. If you're going to critique the church, you do it to the church. Now, I know it gets a little sloppy with internet and all of that stuff. But if you're going to, if you are going to bring out what you perceive to be dirty laundry, you do it in the context of a Christian platform and the Christian context in the Christian church. Don't do it in in front of pagans. That this is this is. We have so many admonitions to not do that. Hey, you don't bring your situations to pagans. Deal with it in-house. When Paul wrote an admonition to the Corinthians, for instance, he didn't post it on the Roman Times website for everybody to read it. Church critiques, that's church business. Let's keep it amongst ourselves because we could be besmirching the institution Jesus loves to pagans. 877-282-2337. All right, this next question came by text, too. This is from Lopez. Todd, I watch a lot of sermons by Paul Washer, Ray Comfort, and Steve Lawson. They really kick me into high gear uh, on evangelism. But now I get very nervous that I have to witness to every single person that I see everywhere I go. And I feel guilty when I don't get to witness. How can I tell when and how often to evangelize and when not to? Thought about this question a lot. And you might wrangle with my application of this verse, but this might just fit underneath the you need to work this out category. 
you got to sort this because it would be wrong for me to say, oh, easy. You need to witness to the same number of people I witness to. Well, that's a law where there is no law. We shouldn't put that yoke on one another. Furthermore, you bump into a lot of people and there are realities that cannot be ignored. You're driving down the road. You're on your, you're on your way to church to do an act of service with your daughter. See what I did there? And there's somebody walking down the street and it's like, you could stop and witness to that person, but you got a responsibility to the church. He's commanded you directly to do that. So you go do that and you can pass the guy on the road and your conscience. No, you can go, oh, I wish I had the time to do that. Lord, give me another person walking down the street because I'd, I'd love to witness to that person. So it is to a degree a conscience issue for you. And I think with this particular subject, a tension must always exist, always. Because to say, oh, well, the Bible doesn't say you need to witness to seven people every 24 hours, so whatever, well, that can just turn into never. But it can't be always. Because the Christian life requires more Christian responsibilities. So work it out. Get counsel from people. Get counsel from your family. Make sure you've... You've got other, you've got other consider, you've got a parent. You've got to be married. You've got to serve in your local church. Get it sorted and use the wisdom of others to help you find that balance, knowing it's not a law, but we want to be as obedient as we can. And therein lies the tension. So glad I could bring crystal clear clarity for you. 877-282-2337. All right, this one is from Scott. He wants to know, is it better to have a president who puts some limits on abortion, like 15 or 16 weeks, rather than having a president who fully supports abortion through yeah. birth? Yeah, that's, yeah that's, this is the lesser of two evils question that we are going to have to deal with. And let me say this, because we do not have any political candidates that are genuinely pro-life, when, when when these conversations are happening about, is it six weeks? Is it brainwaves? Is it heartbeat? These arbitrary markers. It's alive. You don't kill it. By the way, Jimmy, thousands of life is best. We're sent out of here so people can get equipped to defend life. As our politicians now no longer have a genuine pro-life position, we are now confronted with voting for the lesser of two evils. On this issue, which remains, at least it should remain, a watershed issue. This is a litmus test issue. All right, nobody passes the litmus test. Now what do I do? You vote for the lesser of two evils. And might I just suggest we don't go, well, that's what we got. We hate that. This is bad. This isn't good. And this has ramifications for our culture because as soon as you start putting arbitrary markers on human beings and codifying at the national level, um, look out. Well, what are the arbitrary markers for? Old people. What are the arbitrary markers for? Six people. And all of a sudden, you've got a very dim view of anthropology. It should remain a very big issue for us. And as we go about having these conversations, um, don't be excited about for whom you're going to vote. None of them are pro-life. I get it. They've got policies you like and other. I got it. But th 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 this, this cannot be overlooked. If we back down on this issue, who will speak for those who are staggering to the slaughter? Seems like right now would be a good time to encourage you to support preborn ministries. 
they're in it. It's getting, it's a little complex out there with the internet and ordering pills. Uh, they're in the game. They're working hard to save babies and save mommies and daddies with the gospel. So if you are energized about life, that's something you can do. You can support preborn. They provide free ultrasounds. They take, despite the accusations of all pro-life clinics, they are holistic. They do care about the mommy too. And they care for the family and they provide training. And it is literally a way that if you have the means, you can be saving a life. Amazing ministry. Preborn.org slash wretched. This is Wretched Radio. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. And I want to take just a moment to thank our gospel partners. Hey, you guys, because of your support and your generous hearts, you are the backbone of this ministry. Because of you, countless lives have been touched by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you know that your partnership is more than just a contribution. The words of the writer of Hebrews, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And so your generosity in your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Looking ahead, your continued partnership will help us to embark on new projects, which are aplenty in 2024, helping us to reach more souls and spread the gospel farther than we have ever done it before. So to all of our gospel partners, thank you. And if you're not yet already a gospel partner, would you go to wretched.org slash donate to get all of the answers to any questions you might possibly have. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty and I asked and it said in, in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a tomorrow club four times a month so every single week what what's the what does it take to make that happen ready a buck one dollar that's it the kid comes they get treats they get materials that they learn the bible they memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven all those dear ones they're volunteers it's an amazing ministry and if you have a heart for the lost in eastern europe africa and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound i would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org wretched tomorrowclub.org wretched and ask how many children might i be able to support per month Okay, so imagine that you're inside of a maze and every corner that you take, there's another wall, there's another obstacle, and you finally get to the point of frustration where you think you're never going to get out. But then imagine a different scenario. You're still inside that maze, but every corner you take is a guide who has a flashlight and is saying, nope, that's the right way to go. And in that scenario, we welcome you to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. And whether you've listened or not, you'll realize really quickly it's not your everyday radio show. Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford takes issues that many, if not all of us, struggle with. And it matches them up to hope and healing through the pages of the Bible. It is genuinely an entirely new perspective. New episodes drop every Saturday morning in your favorite podcast spot or at transformed.org slash podcast transformed with dr greg gifford names of god we 
learn a lot about God from the names given to Him in Scripture. One name is Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. When we were dead in sin and unrighteousness, God provided the righteousness He requires in Jesus Christ, our substitute. If God has provided for our salvation, how much more is He able to meet our daily needs? This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Ain't it funny how time slips away? Make it snappy. Send stuff to idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. Whatever is on your mind. And don't forget, please send articles, stories, sermons, whatever you see that is wretched. Idea at wretched.org. If you want to text your question, comment, conundrum, snark, 877-282-2337. Am I out of breath? I think so. You mean I need to exercise to talk? It's come to that. <laughs> wow. All right. This question is from Anonymous. Todd, how should we think about a pastor who repeats sermons after only being in the church for about five years? He's been preaching for over 20, but I have the same sermon notes in my Bible and can even look on YouTube and see word for word of sermons he's previously preached. This is such a great opportunity to back up for a second. I'm going to back up because most likely you heard that question and went, well, he's got to get back in the game and start preaching the sermons because we're repeating the material that we've already heard. It's his responsibility. Okay, I'll, I'll go there, but let's back up. Why is he doing that? If you don't know, you might want to investigate that. You might want to ask him, hey, pastor, love you to pieces. Thank you so much for your service. I've grown because of you, and I love you. And hey, I'm, I am wondering though. I'm checking my notes, and it's like I think I I think you might be repeating some of your sermon. Is something up? Is everything okay? Did you did you get a health report that that keeps you from being able to prepare new sermons? Are, are you dealing with low iron? Are you some what 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 what's up? Find out first assume there's an explanation for it that is godly and God-glorifying. Assume that. Now, you go to him and he goes, well, I didn't think somebody was keeping track. Okay, well, now you got it, a different issue. You still need to respect him and engage with him, but then you can start to express your concerns after you have asked and concluded, no, there's nothing. He's just maybe being a little bit on the lazy side. That is a possibility. It can happen. I got to tell you, Preparing a weekly sermon, I kid you, I remember this with Steve Lawson. I was in Denver, Colorado. I think I was at a homeschool convention, and I had to preach three times one day. And I came back to the hotel, and honestly, I was I was wrung out. And I get on the phone with Lawson, who's, you know, typical— yeah, what's going on? You know, just full of energy. And I'm like, so where, where, where are you, Steve? Oh, I'm at the, he's like in the Philippines or saying, you know, I preached like seven times today. <laughs> How do you do that? Seriously, I can, I can, you put me in the studio, the radio studio, TV studio. I can go all day and then go home, go to the gym, go for a walk, whatever. Preaching. You ring me out like a grape. I'm just, whoa. And your pastor is doing that every single week. Every single week. Be mindful of that. The man pours himself into that. Because 
he is up there and he is thinking so hard. It's exhausting. So there can be times when a pastor is just pooped. So work with him to help him get that sorted, find a better balance, work on the schedule a little bit. You can get that sorted in the context of your local church. But don't overlook the fact that maybe the guy, you could discover, oh, I didn't think that you would notice. I have been so bit. We've got, I can't tell you, but we've got this discipline issue. And where the kids are abandoned and we've got to find a, and I can't get into it. And it's like, okay, gotcha. In other words, before we try to fix it, let's figure out why it's broken. Idea at wretched.org. I've always respected the men who preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Dude. That is a week. Dude, Christmas Eve, it was our first day of services. Mm-hmm. I'm, and we did two services. I preached at both of them. The, the evening one was a little bit shorter, but I actually did two different sermons. Mm. <laughs> and what, look, every guy's like Lawson. For, he's just a monster. I, <laughs> I t- and there's there's guys like that, but there's there's a lot of us who are like just pistol whip me. It would be more pleasant <laughs> than the exhaustion that I'm feeling from this. And that might be your pastor, yeah. and you can help him out. Let's communicate before we dictate. Yeah, that's that, good. That's that's a good text right there. I'm, I'm tweeting that's it now. Instagram right there. <laughs> All right, this is from anonymous. Todd is a new parent. My wife and I have been faithful to our local church despite many changes, including a pastor change, uh, concerns like not doing the Lord's table weekly, adding videos during worship, allowing coffee in the sanctuary, the new pastor not being as insightful as the old, in our opinion and a shift towards more contemporary worship music. I'm worried about presenting a casual approach to worship to my son. How can I instill a higher view of church in him? Well, let's let's you'll sort that pop. But would that be cause to go? And the answer is maybe, maybe not. Have you talked to the pastor about it? I've noticed a change. Are these things intentional? What is motivating them? Why are we going this direction? Everything that you that you cited is a mark of seeker sensitivity, a mark of cutting edge. And if he's committed to that because he has gone to a seminar or read a book and he thinks that's what needs to happen, we've got to turn our church into an attraction so that people will visit, then you got a church that's probably going in, in a direction that at some point you're going to have to say, we need to find something a little bit more serious, a little loftier, but don't do it rashly. Do it thoughtfully with the pastor. Meet with the elders. You can bring these considerations and concerns to them. They will not. Now, I will say this. I'll say this. Let's say you go to your elders and you say, y'all, I'm curious. We used to sing Isaac Watts hymns. Now we're doing the Hill song. Can you guys explain that to me? You know, we're the elders. I don't know who you think you are questioning us. We got to grow this place. And if you don't like it, oh, you got, you got some trouble. But if you're in a good church and you've got godly elders aimed in the right direction, they will be more than happy to explain it to you. And you might come to the point because you are responsible for your kids. If you feel that it is becoming so seeker-sensitive and watered-down, mushy, and, and gloppy that for the sake of your family, you can move. 
You can move, but don't do it without having those conversations for the sake of clarity. 877-282-2337. All right, and our next question comes from Joseph. Todd, our church recently announced a rebrand. Exciting. Unveiling a new logo, merchandise, and uh, it was announced during the sermon. And I, I trust my pastor, but using a sermon for this type of announcement just seems somewhat off to me. Am I overreacting here, or is there some biblical perspective on the matter? Well, th- this this isn't like the church split between the East and the West, but I do believe it would be something that you could indeed explore with your pastor. So I would ask him, not what are you doing, but I would ask him, tell me your philosophy of church. What is the service? What are the elements? Who regulates it? What are the principles that we use to determine if we introduce logos and merch, even down to do we kind of chit-chat, make jokes, inject other things? Tell me, how do you work through it, Pastor? And I will tell you this, if the pastor hasn't, he better. Because if you don't understand and, and, and determine what it is we do on Sunday morning, Look, the next thing you know, logo, they're going to be throwing T-shirts from the stage. Hey, let me hear it from over here. How about over here? Who's the lot? Who wants the new merch? you got to figure out what it is that you're doing. So I will tell you for my money how I think of church. And it's it's going to be kind of fun. I'm looking forward. Have I mentioned Justin Peters is here now? And we're doing a bunch of stuff together over the weekend. And then he's going to preach on Sunday, five marks of a healthy church. Don't tell Mark Dever. Justin thinks there's only five. He's going to be preaching on Sunday morning. And I haven't talked to him about this, but I will. And I'm going to say, Justin, when the element that precedes the sermon is done, please begin your sermon. Uh, you're, you're not going to be introduced. We're not going to give a curriculum vita. We're, we, are, we are going to simply have you do the next element. Because that's the way we, we, we don't want anything to take away from the one that we're here to worship. And so, for instance, I have to apply that to myself. You ask your pastor about this sometime, but while you're waiting for your your time to open up the Word of God, you're thinking about everything that's happening. And there's some things that happen you could maybe make a joke about, you could comment about. I don't. Don't. I could. I don't. Why? Because I believe that church is for the Lord and we are there to honor Him and focus on Him totally. And anything that detracts from that, I think is just a distraction and doesn't belong. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, don't even say good morning to your congregation. You are doing elements of worship for God. Keep everything else up. You decide what your church is doing. You'll make a decision about merch and logos in the sermon. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.